We turn then in God's word to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We read God's inspired word as it has been breathed out to us. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man 
And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. As far as the reading of God's word, let's bow in prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are once again grateful that we can sit here before you in the evening hour of this day, Father, waiting intently to hear the words that you have prepared for us to hear. Father, we do pray that you would grant Pastor Bob uh, a clarity of mind and speech and give him all that he stands in need of to deliver this message, that we might have open hearts and minds, that we might take it this week forward and uh, be ever changed. In your son's precious name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. So what happened? What happened from where we were in Genesis chapter 1 to where we are today? Genesis chapter 1, we had, as we looked at this morning, the sea creatures being made, the air creatures being made, the land animals being made, man being made in the image of God, and God saying, ah, it's very good. We have obedience of man and creature, fully complying with the commands that God gave. Peace, harmony, life, joy, all there, blessing after blessing after blessing. Now we look around in our world today. We see disobedience. We see God's word laughed at, mocked, turned away from. We see the lesser creation, as Dr. Tim mentioned this morning, being worshipped rather than the creator. We see all the impacts that that brings, according to Romans chapter 1. We see the violence the death, we see the sin. What happened? What happened? Well, another creature got involved in the story. That's what happened. But before we get to Genesis chapter 3, we actually have to back up. We have to back up because God had given to man a specific command. Actually, he gave them two commands. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You, shall, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. See, that's a command too. Adam, what, what can you eat? You may eat of any tree that's in this garden. You have the complete freedom to pick any one of these trees, except you may not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One specific tree they are commanded not to, yet when we go back and read about the creation of the vegetation, it is full. The earth is tree upon tree upon tree. The Garden of Eden is filled with all sorts of trees 
bearing fruit, all available for Adam to eat. This is not God being stingy. This is God being a blessing. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of trees available for him to eat. But one tree, one tree, he is given the specific command, you may not eat of it. And that tree then becomes the subject, right, of Genesis chapter 3. That one limitation, that one command is now seized upon as an opportunity. So secondly, let's look at this particular creature. We are introduced to it in verse 1. Now the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. A serpent, a snake, for the lack of a better term, a, a reptile, one that is across on the ground, so one would say. Near to the ground, close to the ground, is what the actual word means, as, as we would translate it from the Hebrew. It is this particular creature. What exactly it looked like at this time, we don't know. We don't know. What exactly was it? Effects in terms of how it, it conducted itself, we don't know. We do know, we would have to say, based upon Genesis chapter 1, that it was very good in its original creation, meaning it does not carry any venomous death. It probably does not have any teeth, as it were, to sink into. It's not a biting creature in the sense that we would think about it today because God had said it's very good and it's been given green plants and it's been given the fruit as well to eat as we looked at this morning. That's what the creatures were also commanded and God saw that it was very good. They were obedient to his command. But there is a word there that kind of throws us for a loop, right? So we get the, ser the serpent, but then we come to was more crafty. Was more crafty. And immediately that spurs questions in our minds, right? Because we generally have a negative connotation of the word crafty. But sometimes words don't necessarily imply in their original, that idea that we attach to it. For example, okay, we just finished the holiday season, right? Okay, one of those trite little carols that oftentimes is sung is that little deck the halls, right? Fa-la-la-la-la. Anybody remember what one of the lines is that we don't sing anymore because of the culture in which we live in? Don we now our gay apparel. Right? Because nobody uses the word gay anymore to mean glad. 
That's not the context. We, we have a negative context to the word gay. The word gay implies homosexuality. And so, well, if anything is gay, right, that's bad. But actually, okay, for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, the word gay implies a good thing, a very positive thing, a glad thing, something that makes you smile, something that gives you joy. So too with the word crafty. We today would look at it as being, hmm, how could the serpent be crafty if God had said it's very good? Hmm, something is amiss here. Well, yeah, what's amiss is our understanding of the word. The word, as it's used in the Hebrew, means wise, discerning. It means some of you from uh, last week, Sunday's hymn sing, will get a kick out of this. It means to be sage-like. That's what it means. Certainly no negative. There is nothing wrong with the serpent being crafty. There is nothing wrong with this creature that God has made to be more discerning than all of the other creatures that God has made. It's more discerning. It is more wise. It is more sage-like than is an ox, than is a bird, than is a fish. It was given by God in his thoughtful design and formation abilities that other creatures did not reach. Every once in a while, okay, you, you, you get a study from, from some institute and they're talking about animals and their intellectual capabilities. And they always tell you that there's different rankings. Some animals are able to learn certain things that other animals just don't ever seem to get. Some animals catch on quicker to things than others, right? There, there is some sort of abilities that some animals have that other animals do not have. That is all the verse is saying. That to the serpent was given an understanding in the sense of, of not a rational understanding, but a discernment that other animals, other creatures, did not have. Yet, what perhaps surprises us about this passage is that the serpent speaks. Now, I happen to be a literalist when it comes to the Word of God. I, I happen to be, especially in these chapters of Genesis, very literal about it. 24-hour days, God spoke and it was. Creation out of nothing. No evolutionary thought. But it surprises me how, how often others who fall into that same category sort of walk away from this passage and sort of like, well, maybe the... The serpent was just like winding his way around the tree branches. And Eve's going, hmm, look at that fruit. I think that fruit looks good to eat. 
and they take the words out of the mouth of the serpent. Because somehow or another, they're, they're, they're okay in their theology with God can create out of nothing. They're okay in their theology with that days can be 24 hours long, but they're not okay with a speaking serpent. Uh, that's probably going just a little bit too far. I would place before your brothers and sisters, there is nothing, there is nothing in this passage to indicate anything other than the fact that the serpent spoke. Now you say, well, how could that be? How could that happen? Did all serpents speak? Well, that's not what we're told. We're not told every single serpent could speak. We are told that this serpent spoke, that there were words that came from this serpent's mouth. Now, what used to surprise me most about this passage is that Eve didn't just turn around and go, what are you doing? You're a creature and you're speaking. But then when you read the text, when you read the whole passage, when you read through Genesis chapter 2, something occurs to you. After God had created all of those creatures, what did he do? He brought them all to who? To Adam. Adam encountered every one of those creatures, and he gave to those creatures its name. Was Eve created yet? No. She is not yet formed. Because the passage goes on to tell us that for Adam, there was no helpmate. So God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, and from his side, from his rib, okay, literally his side, he forms Eve. Did Eve make meet all of the creatures? No. The biblical text doesn't tell us that. Adam met all the creatures. Adam knew who all the creatures were. Adam was aware of all of the creatures, but not Eve. So the fact that one of these creatures could speak, so be it. She hadn't met them all. She hadn't been in Adam's position, you see, where all of these creatures came and, and, and he's looking for, for some partner of some sort and they, they, that's just not happening, it's just not taking place. But Eve has not had that experience of Adam. So the fact that she encounters now, upon this day, a speaking serpent, is not a reason for us to go, well, she doesn't act in shock. Why not? She hadn't been there when all the animals were named. She doesn't know what all the animals are capable of. She is not aware of that. That was Adam. That's why when, when we look at this in the context of the New Testament, this all falls on Adam's shoulders. The responsibility of what is taking place at this moment in time is all Adam's responsibility, right? We'll come back to that in a few minutes. The serpent was crafty, and it spoke. Not a lure, not just some internal feeling that is created, but the serpent speaks. 
we would also have to say, as we look further into the text, that it would appear to us that at one time or another, these serpents were not the slithering creatures we think of them as, but were walking creatures. Else, what good does it do for God to say, hey, for the rest of your existence, you're going to crawl on your belly and eat dust. The serpent could have said, I'm doing that right now. What's the big deal? Where's the curse? That brought about a change, a distinction. Any of you remember the article that appeared? I'll give you the date, November 20, 2019, in the New York Times. Any of you remember? Scientists have discovered that snakes used to have feet. <laughs> Blows them out of water. Shouldn't us. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense with the word of God. Absolutely. That's not some astounding new find. That's like the wise men of old, okay, and, and the guys of Bethlehem searching, or the guys of Jerusalem searching and finding out that Christ is in Bethlehem. It's literally like, well, yeah, of course they did. Genesis 3 lets you know that. The serpent speaks. And the serpent, in the context of the passage, we would have to say, has the ability to walk. But it's what the serpent speaks that we need to focus on. Did God say? Did God say what? Did God say, you can jump to the moon? No. Did God say you're going to have an unhappy marriage? No. He goes to the command. The one command, the one command, listen to him. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, do you see why I went back to what the command was? Because look at what he's just done. Look at the twisting. God did not actually say that, did he? But he's implying that God actually did say it. That you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. That isn't even remotely close to what God said. That is so far afield. God had said you may eat of all the trees of the garden except one. Satan is saying God said you can't eat of them all. He totally twisted. God said you may eat all but one. Satan is saying you may not eat of them all, right? That's what God told you. This is the way in which the serpent speaks. Did God really say? Look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you remember where those words occur again? They come out of the mouth of God. At the end of the chapter, God says, okay, that, verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. 
Satan speaks the words that are true words, for we have them from the mouth of God. And we know that God can only speak the truth, but he puts them in the context of the lie. He puts them in the context of the question. He puts them in the context of doubt. He makes her to mistrust God. God's got another agenda other than my joy. God's got another agenda. God's keeping something from me. Something I really kind of desire now. Go back to those commandments that we read this morning. How often is that not true? This is what Satan does to us, to our minds, to our hearts. Right? Shall not commit adultery. He takes it. Why would God rob me of happiness? Certainly God will do that so I can go ahead. Certainly God wants me to, to be fed and to be enjoy life, so taking somebody else's thing. He twists, he distorts for his own advantage. The particular creature, it's the serpent. It's more crafty, it speaks, it questions. But as I've already indicated, Scripture does not leave us in the void of the fact that this is just some creature. This is a creature that is being used. This is a creature that is being manipulated. This is a creature, we could say in one sense, that is being possessed. Keep your finger here. Go with me to the end of the book. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, the identity, even though you and I know this all along, the identity okay, is revealed to us in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, go down to verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, where thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. We read it again in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. The same idea, Paul in 2 Corinthians expresses that same connection between the serpent and Satan. Now, I tell you nothing new when I tell you that, right? It, it's like, well, of course, you've... I've, even in the midst of preaching the sermon, it gets interjected. It's hard to think of the serpent without Satan. Yet, we have to understand that the serpent 
is being used by Satan for purposes. But that once again backs us up, right? That, that once again has to remind us of the fact, whoa, 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 something else has happened here, hasn't it? Between where we were in Genesis 1 and the events of Genesis 2, and now Genesis chapter 3, if the serpent, this creature of God, made upon his command, is now being used by Satan, the deceiver, something else has happened between those chapters. And the answer is, yes. Satan has risen up in an uprising. Now, the point of our message today is not to go into detail to that, but let me give you the, the passages that you need to consult. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. And I would place before you as well Revelation chapter 12, which I believe is simply retelling us the story of the fall of Satan between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3. We know from Scripture, from those passages that I gave to you, Satan... Lucifer, as he was referred to, rose up in pride over that which God had done. For some reason, okay, for some reason, and it would appear it is the creation of man, that when man is given the place of dominion over everything, this is what infuriates Satan. And his pride, his arrogance, gets the best of him, which leads to the rebellion and the fall. Now, Satan is seeking to undo man's image bearing. That's why he makes use of the serpent. The most crafty, the most wise, the most sage-like, the most discerning of all of God's creatures. He makes use of the creature that it would be the least likely to be used by him. Probably never thought about it that way, did you? Probably always thought, oh, he picked a snake because snakes are horrible creatures. Yes, they are, by the way. Okay? But that's not why he chose the serpent. He chose the serpent. Because the serpent is a creature of great discernment. And through that creature now, Satan deceives. Which brings us to the third point, which is very simple, the sinful act. She ate, he ate. Verse 6 tells us. Verse 6 also informs us of Genesis chapter 3 that Adam is with her. He's not off somewhere else in another part of the garden. He's standing right there. He could have stopped the whole thing, but he does not perform the responsibilities, the God-given responsibilities that were given to him as the head of that home. He allowed this to take place. He allowed his wife to take and eat, even though Genesis 3 clearly tells us he's standing right there. That is why the New Testament places upon Adam 
the responsibility of this sin. It is his responsibility. He was the one that God had placed in ultimate dominion over the creation. He was the one who should have said, No, Eve, we will not listen. No, I will not take. But he failed. They sinned. The result of which is a realization of sin. They knew they were naked. Okay, their eyes are opened. Yes, they knew good and evil. They knew their own evil. There is shame. There is guilt. There is awareness. There is judgment. And there is condemnation. They hid from God. But in this passage, once again, grace emerges so beautifully. And it emerges in three ways. One, God comes to visit. God doesn't just throw up his hands and say, well, that's it. Experiment over. Man failed. Let's just destroy the whole thing and start over. Let's wait and see if man comes and begs for forgiveness. Let's see if this creature that I have made, that I gave my image to, comes to his senses and at least calls out to me. It was never going to happen. They hid. They hid. But God comes. God comes to visit. God seeks them. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? God desires still a relationship. Oh, how gracious of God. See, our brother Tim this morning in, in the, the, the Christianity Explored class told us that there, there are two things that we have to start with with evangelism. One is the knowledge of man, and secondly, the knowledge of sin. See, if, if we don't start here, if we don't explain to people why we're in the mess we're in, they'll never see the need of a Savior. This explains life today. This explains their life. This explains your and my lives. It's all right here. But here's the beauty. God comes. God is the going God. God is the God who goes. It's not just Jesus who commands, go ye into all the world. It is Jesus who came. It is Jesus who went. It is Jesus who comes to us sinners. It is God who comes to his creatures here, to Adam and Eve. In their sin, God comes in his grace. Where are you? giving them the opportunity to come, to come clean. Secondly, the grace is seen in the promise. The promise of Genesis 3, 15. And yes, the ESV reads correctly. This is the way it is in the, in the Hebrew. I will put enmity God speaks to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
The word crush that gets inserted in some versions is not in the text. It's understood in the text, but it's not in the text. Notice what God is saying. Here is the promise. You are going to strike at the heel of the offspring of the woman. Just the heel. The hardened heel. Think of those heels as they are in the Middle East. Think of the heels as they are at this time, at this age. In the Old Testament, heels, tough. A serpent does not do much. But he, he will bruise your head. He will step upon your head. And even though the word crush is not there, it is alluded to. It's that idea of Christ's heel taking and being placed upon the head of the serpent. Calvin says that, that in this passage, we see the wounding of Christ. Yes. We read it in Revelation chapter 5, didn't we? There was a lamb with a wound. Yes. But it's a lamb that is risen. And a serpent, a dragon, Satan, that lies crushed beneath his feet. This is the promise of grace. This is the promise of reconciliation. This is the promise of hope. But it really comes to play in that God covered them. Don't miss that little verse, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What happened? An animal died. Blood was shed. And their shame, their guilt is covered. What grace. They're running around with fig leaves trying tied together, trying to cover themselves. All of man's futile attempts to cover their guilt. But God comes and covers them with the skin of an animal, the skin of one of his creatures. We're not told which. We're not told what it was. If you ask me to guess, my guess would be it was a lamb. A lamb that takes away the sin of the world. God created these sheep, these lambs, to be a picture, to be a reminder to us of his only begotten son. Who is the Lamb of God. Not a Lamb. The Lamb of God. That his blood might be a covering of all of our sin. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought we sang. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
A chapter that begins with one of God's creatures being used by Satan ends with one of God's creatures being slain by God himself so that it could be a covering, a glorious, beautiful picture, a foreshadowing of Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, what a hope. What a promise. What a word to go forth into this world with. You have provided a covering for sin. Father, we will encounter hundreds, if not thousands of people in this week who are living life naked and ashamed, full of guilt. We have the good news. God provides the covering. May we be willing to share the good news. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.